0: So this is uh, the word of the Lord from Luke 21, verse 12 through 19. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up, even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you, they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, now, as we focus our attention on the words of Christ, we pray for your help, that your spirit would be amongst us, opening our eyes, opening our ears, helping us to give attention these words we pray father that you would also do this work in churches throughout the Midwest district we lift up the Hillcrest Evangelical Free Church in Seward this morning Pastor Kurt there we pray that you would bless this congregation as they hear your word father that they would be built up strengthened for the works of ministry that their faith would be strong That there would be a bright light of witness for you in Seward and the surrounding area. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. The disciples of Jesus Christ were living in serious times. Their nation was under the rule of a foreign power that had conquered their people and their land many years before. They were under the rule of an emperor who was making decisions far away in Rome. Decisions that directly impacted their lives. You could say he was completely out of touch with the problems of the people that he ruled over, particularly those within Israel. The Romans were not known to be kind to their enemies. Instead, they were famous for crucifying them or Enjoying watching them being torn to pieces by wild animals in their arenas. These Romans would end up killing hundreds, even thousands of Christians in the early years of the church. That was the world that the disciples lived in. The world that the Lord Jesus was sending them out into to make disciples of all nations and to plant churches. And brothers and sisters, we are also living in serious times. In the past two years, evangelical pastors in Canada have been jailed. And churches in the United States have been severely fined simply for holding worship services. In city councils, uh, state and federal governments, there is a growing opposition to Christians and churches simply telling other people what the Bible says about sexual sins, about marriage, and that God created man in his image, male and female. Outside of our nation, Christians have been and continue to be targeted and attacked because they bear witness that Jesus Christ is the way of salvation. And there's no other way. The Christian ministry Open Doors estimates that in just the past year, over 340 million Christians are living in places where they experience high levels of persecution and discrimination. 4,761 Christians, they estimate, have been killed for their faith in the past year. 4,488 churches and other Christian buildings have been attacked. And 4,277 believers have been detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, or imprisoned. So we are living in serious times as well. And the Lord here has a word for us about it. So let's take his word seriously for what he says here this morning. We're looking at verses 12 through 19 here in Luke 21, and the main theme that we're seeing is that Jesus has promised his people will suffer and triumph through him. Jesus has promised his people will suffer and triumph through him. So let's recall that in the context of these verses, Jesus is teaching in the temple. This is the last week of his ministry before the crucifixion. Uh, It is during the week of Passover. Uh, The people loved hearing Jesus teach, that is, up until Jesus said that the temple would be destroyed. Then they got a little concerned. So Jesus was teaching in the temple and he overheard some of uh, his his followers speaking about how impressed they were um, with the uh, 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 temple, uh, how it looked, how massive it was. It was an impressive place. It was the largest temple structure in all of the ancient world and it was totally decked out with very elegant and valuable decorations. But Jesus takes that opportunity to alert his people that judgment was coming. Judgment was going to fall upon Jerusalem and upon the temple. And that prediction is what prompted his disciples to ask the question in verse 7, when will these things be and what will be the sign when they are about to take place? And the rest of chapter 21 is Jesus responding to answering those questions. So Jesus takes the opportunity in his teaching now to then prepare his disciples for what they are about to experience. All through Jesus' ministry, if you've been with us as we've made our way through the Gospel of Luke, all through his ministry, Jesus has been teaching his disciples that following him is costly. It's costly to follow Jesus. After all, he was about to be condemned and crucified. If they did that to him, the disciples should not expect to be treated much better. So Jesus calls them here to patiently endure the trials they will face and reminds them that even though the way is hard, that it is the way to eternal life. The structure of what Jesus says here in, in, in these verses, uh, verses 12 through, through, through 19, is divided up by the use of the future tense verbs and the uh, pronouns that those verbs uh, relate with. So you just take a look there in your Bibles. Just kind of breeze over those verses. Look how many times you see the word will. They will. You will. I will. You will. That's the structure. That's the structure we're going to be looking at as we focus on these verses this morning. Jesus alerts his disciples first of what they will, what their enemies will do to them. The officials, the government leaders, even their own family members who will persecute them. And he also directs some encouraging words towards his disciples saying, you will have opportunities to bear witness. So they will persecute you. You will have opportunities to bear witness. And then finally, Jesus makes sure to give hope to his disciples. He never leaves them without hope. He gives hope to his disciples, promising them what he will do for them. That is, he will empower their words, and he will preserve their souls through their persecution. So first... What they will do, they will persecute you, verses 12 and then 16 and 17 here. The Lord uh, qualifies the persecution that his disciples will face as taking place. If you see that in uh, verse 12, before all this, before all this, that is before what he has just predicted will happen in verses 6 through 12 before the temple will be destroyed by the, by the Roman army in AD 70, before the war in Israel begins in AD 66, his followers would face persecution. And the book of Acts, of course, reveals that to us. We see that in that book. Persecution against the church began almost immediately after the Holy Spirit came upon the believers in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, Uh, But this warning was not just for the disciples uh, of Jesus, the the 12 here, for as the history of the church has revealed, wherever there have been disciples of Christ, there has always been more or less persecution. Again, verse 12, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you. This is one of Jesus' promises. They will do this. This will happen. He was sure of it. It was certain to take place. Therefore, every disciple knew to follow Jesus meant to be willing to lay down his life. To take up your cross. Following Jesus is walking in the way of suffering. It is a costly choice. Paul and Barnabas uh, in Acts, while they were returning to the cities where they had preached the gospel, Um, in Acts 14, they did not shy away from telling the new believers what it would cost them to be faithful to Christ in their city. We read in Acts 14 verse 22 that they were saying to them that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. We must go through many tribulations in order to enter the kingdom of God. They uh, They considered persecution then to be the normal state of affairs for the Christian. Even referring to it as something believers must endure in order to be part of the kingdom. Both Jesus and Paul were stating that persecution must take place. Therefore, the believer is not to think that something has gone terribly wrong when they are faced with opposition. That the, the opposition, in fact, is, was sent you know, to them from the Lord. It's a part of his plan. It it, it went with devoting your life to following uh, the condemned and crucified Christ. Persecution is just a normal state of affairs for Christians. So we should know this. Paul wanted us to know it. Jesus wanted us to know it. We are going to face great challenges and they will not just come from the secular authorities who are over us, but as verse 16 makes clear, it will also come from those relationships that are closest to us. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you, they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. Think of how divisive it can become within a family, when a son or a daughter or a spouse is born again out of unbelief to faith in Christ. I know some of you have experienced that within your families, where all of a sudden family loyalties are tested because the family is a part of a different religion or a different church or they aren't religious at all. The family could put a lot of pressure on the Christian member of the family to not speak about their faith to them, to not practice their faith before them in any open, public way. This year, uh, we as a church began supporting a local church pastor working in a, a Muslim-populated area of Nigeria, uh, Pastor Abraham. Abraham. And uh, just this past Thursday, I was able to to speak with Pastor Abraham for the first time over the phone. I learned that, that, that his church operates a school where they teach 80 children 10 years and younger. Many of them come from Muslim families, and Abraham, his wife, and a few other Christian teachers are not only teaching these children how to read and write and the basics of education, but they are also teaching them the Bible. They are teaching these children the gospel of Jesus Christ. What will happen in the families of these Muslim children if the children believe the gospel and then begin to bear witness to their families? Well, hopefully their families will believe as well. And that Christ will transform their homes. That could happen, and praise God if it does. But generally, generally it leads to things like Jesus was describing in verses 16 and 17. But there is a way to avoid persecution. There is. There's a way for us to not have to worry about ever having to face the authorities or disappoint our family members who may turn against us for our faith in Jesus. The way to avoid persecution is just to remain quiet. Just don't talk about it. Just remain quiet about your faith. Never speak about Jesus. Never declare Him to be the only way of salvation, just keep quiet about it and you won't upset anyone. You will keep yourself out of trouble. You will keep yourself alive. And sadly, that actually sounds a lot like the way we live in America. It's definitely the way that our culture here in America demands. Keep your faith and your religious commitments to yourself. Don't, don't talk about it openly. Don't bother anyone else with what you believe about Jesus. But is that the way that Christ expects us to live? Is it the way Christ lived? Is it the way his disciples lived when they were empowered by the Holy Spirit? We are called to bear witness, and we'll see that next. You will have opportunities to bear witness for Christ before others. Verse 13, this will be your opportunity to bear witness. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Jesus is not trying to scare any of his disciples away from following him by telling them that they will be persecuted. Instead, in verse 13, he informs them that persecution will provide them with opportunities to bear witness for him. These authorities he mentions in verse 12, the synagogues, uh, the kings, the governors, and even those in prisons, they will attempt to keep the disciples from proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. They'll do that by arresting them, by putting them in prisons, uh, but in reality, what they will be doing, instead of providing them with, um, uh, instead of keeping them quiet, they will Provide them with more opportunities to bear witness. More opportunities to, to share the hope of the gospel in these ways. The trouble that the disciples would be facing is not to be understood as some disaster that's happened. But it is a God-ordained opportunity to bear witness to Christ, which is what Christ has called all of his people to be doing, speaking about him, about his saving work, making disciples of all nations. After the resurrection, the Lord will meet with his disciples at the end of the, of the Gospel of Luke. We'll, we'll get to that eventually. And uh, it says there, Jesus says, Repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And then he tells them, You are my witnesses. And at the very beginning of Acts, which is the second book that Luke wrote, Jesus tells his followers, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And then the book of Acts is just the, the, the account of how that happened, of that taking place, of the apostles being his witnesses, proclaiming his word throughout Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, And to the end of the earth. Jesus was not just saying that that they would bear witness with their friends at work or with people they might be traveling with, even though that was definitely a part of it. He was saying that they would bear witness before authorities who were hostile towards them because they wouldn't keep their faith in Christ to themselves. They would have opportunities to bear witness to the very people who would have the authority to punish or kill them. In the original language that Luke uh, wrote this book in, in Greek, uh, the Greek word that's translated as bear witness there in verse 13 is pronounced martyrion. Martyrion, which is where we get the designation martyr from. Those who are killed because they identify with Christ are called martyrs because to be willing to suffer and die for Christ for my name's sake, as Jesus puts it in these verses, is a powerful witness for Christ. Think about the the message that's displayed when a believer is willing to lay down his or her life while staying true to Christ. It shows that Christ is better than having people like you. It means Christ and the world is to come are better than anything that this world may offer us. It means that that Christ and the eternal life he promises are better than any wealth, reward, or status that we could earn in this life. As Paul wrote in the book of Philippians, to live is Christ and to die is gain. The martyr's witness declares that as long as I am still living, I will be faithful to Christ and his call on me to proclaim his word. And if that means I'll be persecuted or killed, well then, gain. Gain, to die is gain. For then I will depart and be with Christ, which, as Paul says, is far better. So if you are not a Christian, then you may be wondering why anyone would be willing to go through so much trouble, so much opposition, even die for their faith, In Christ. And that's okay. I mean, this has baffled people in the world for the past two centuries. Let let me tell you, the the main reason for it is, is because those who have come to know and follow the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior no longer have their hope set in this world. That's why. The Christian's hope is in the world that is to come, the world that God has promised them in Christ, and you can only get to that world through death. And when your hope is not in the world, not in this world, well, then death no longer has power over you. It no longer destroys your hope. It, no, it, it, it doesn't end your life. Uh, it's just this doorway that you walk through to enter into the glorious presence of the one who loved you and gave himself up for you. And when your hope is not in this world, it, it trains you to not hang on so tightly to this world, and prepares you for when you will depart, which we all will anyway. As one popular song puts it, you're never going to live if you're too scared to die. When your hope is in the world that is to come, where, where Christ has promised that God will dwell with us, where he will wipe every tear away from our eyes, where where there will be no more dying, no more mourning, no more suffering, if that's where your hope is, well, then you'll be enabled to live faithfully and fully for him in this life, no matter what it costs. So where's your hope? Where's your hope? Is your hope in this world? Well, then you're going to lose it you're going to end up disappointed. You're never going to live if you're too scared to die. If your hope is in this world, you'll easily forsake Christ rather than suffer for him. So put your hope in the world to come. Believe the promises of the Lord Jesus Christ and then bear witness to those promises. But not many of us do well when we're under stress. Right, I mean, some of us get nervous and struggle to just speak coherently when we're making a phone call. How could we then be expected to provide an effective witness for Christ when we are on trial or when our lives or the lives of those we love are under threat? How could, how could Christ expect us to speak about him in those stressful situations or even when we have an opportunity to talk about him with a friend or a neighbor or a family member how can we do that well that's the promise that the lord gives us next the lord will empower our words and preserve our souls verses 14 and 15 and 18 and 19 uh there are several, several verses really stood out to me from this passage as I thought about it this week, but probably none more so than what Jesus says in verses 14 and 15. He says, Settle it therefore in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. So look at verse Fourteen. Jesus basically says there, don't even think about how you're going to answer your enemies who put you on trial. Don't waste any time trying to come up with a plan or, or how you're going to you know, say certain things when, when, when they're challenging you, when they're questioning you. I, I know you'll be afraid. I know you'll be nervous. I know this is difficult for you. But don't worry about it because for, verse 15, I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. That, my friends, is an incredible promise. That is an amazing word of comfort for people like me who get a little nervous and have a hard time talking when you're under stress. It's like saying, don't be afraid, which Jesus says so often to us in the Gospels, fear not for I'll be with you. But it is much more specific and addresses a great need that that we will have, that the disciples will have when they're brought before these authorities. But it's not the need that we might think would be the most important one. Notice Jesus doesn't say, don't worry, I'll make sure they won't kill you. No, in fact, he says in verse 16, some of you they will put to death. Notice also that he doesn't say, don't be concerned for I'll change their minds in regards to you so they'll end up liking you. No, that's, that's something that our minds are usually very concerned about, being liked by others. But instead, Jesus says in verse 17, you will be hated by all for my namesake. We would be concerned about those things, but Jesus wasn't. What is most concerning to him, what he is most concerned about is our ability to bear witness for him. He is most concerned about our being able to testify about the gospel. That, my friends, should show us how important Jesus believes it is to speak about him before others. It must be far more serious than we tend to think it is. In our great time of crisis, Jesus will not abandon us. He he did not abandon his disciples, but enabled and empowered them to bear witness for him. I will give you a mouth and wisdom. Many of you have experienced this in your life. You were challenged by someone, challenged by someone else to to explain why you would believe in something so foolish as the Bible or Jesus Christ rising from the dead. And the Lord gave you words. He gave you a mouth to speak, and and you're still not sure just how you were able to do it. Or maybe you were not preparing for it, but all of a sudden, here you are, you're you're, you're talking with a friend, um, and, 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 and the Lord opens up this opportunity for you to speak about your faith in Christ. And you were nervous, but you were able to do it. The Lord gave you a mouth. He gave you wisdom. I think of so many young believers who want to be baptized but are scared to death to stand up in front of the church and tell them that they are Christians. scared to death, to stand before their own family, their own church family, and say they're a Christian. And here Jesus says, don't fret. I will give you a mouth to bear witness about me. I will give you wisdom to share about me. He is pleased to do that. He wants to do that. He will do that. He's promised he will. We have evidence of how the Lord was with the apostles when they were brought before the Jewish authorities and kings and governors in the book of Acts. In each example, we see and hear men whose lives were in danger for their commitment to proclaiming Christ. Uh, they, they, They stand up before these authorities and they testify with words that the Spirit of Christ gave them to speak for they recorded it in the scriptures and we know them as God's words now he gave them a mouth to speak his words and wisdom which their adversaries could not withstand. And yet, still, even though the Lord was with them, he was with these faithful men to testify to the truth of the gospel, and some of them, some of them were put to death. James, Stephen, in the book of Acts, Peter and Paul, And eventually all the apostles were put to death because of their witness for Christ, that Christ alone is the Lord and Savior. Throughout the history of the church, we know there have been more faithful brothers and sisters than we could count that have been killed because of their witness to Jesus Christ. We know it's happened. We know it's still happening today. So then what are we to make of his promises in verses 18 and 19? But not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. Well, we know that Jesus can't mean that his disciples won't be physically harmed in any way. We know that he can't mean that some of them wouldn't be killed since he also says in verse 16 that some of them would be killed. So so this is not a promise of physical health and safety. But when Jesus says, but not a hair of your head will perish, he is saying that our lives are so completely in His control, they so completely belong to Him and are so thoroughly under His sovereign control that nothing can befall us that is not entirely due to His sovereign will. As the great uh, catechism, the Heidelberg catechism puts it in the very first question and answer of that catechism. The first question is, what is your only comfort in life and death? And the answer is that I am not my own but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. It goes on. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood, and he has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things, must work together for my salvation. And that leads us then to verse 19, which once again doesn't mean that in order to have eternal life, Christians must make sure that they patiently endure persecution with a smile on their faces. No, this follows what Christ says in verse 18. So what must endure for our souls to be saved? What must endure... For us to gain our lives, that is eternal life, what must continue for us to receive the victory of eternal life? Our faith in Christ, our love for Christ, our hope in Christ, who He said He was, who um, he said, we are in him. The promises that he's made to us, that is what we must continue to hold on to. That is what must continue to endure in us. And how we will be able to hold on to that, how will we will be able to know for sure that that that, that will endure? It will only happen through Christ and by his power and his grace. He Will hold us fast. Saving faith does not renounce Jesus when times are tough. It holds on to him, even in the face of persecution. To cling to Jesus is to have life, even in the face of death. So there are two things that the Lord Jesus promises uh, promises us here. In these verses, there will be future suffering, but there will also be future triumph in and through him. Let us patiently endure the suffering by putting our hope not in this world, but in Christ and in the world that is to come.